towards the playoffs. A uh, couple of big wins over the Habs. One comes with the 40th goal uh, for Austin Matthews in Game 49 for him. And the other clinches the North Division for the Leafs, their first title since 2000. Um, I think we're all pretty excited heading into the playoffs here. Uh, are either of those things kind of more significant to either of you? Uh, for me, I've got to go with the Matthews scoring 40 goals, especially in just 49 games. Uh, if you guys remember, I kind of uh, projected all the Maple Leafs point totals in the shortened season this year before the season got going. And I took a lot of flack from some people for projecting Matthews to score 40 goals in a shortened campaign. I've kind of been sitting on pins and needles a little bit watching lately, even though it kind of felt inevitable all season. And now that he, he got the, the 40 goals, uh, it's nice to kind of sit back and have to watch some other people eat crow. Yeah, it's definitely more impressive uh, that, that Matthew scored 40 than the Leafs winning the division. But I will say, on the other hand, from like an importance standpoint, um, just just the fact that we don't have to play McDavid in the first round, that, scared, that would scare me a little bit. Um, I know you got to get through them eventually, but I think everybody just has this weight of win, win a fucking series. Like that just seems to be like a, a thing that needs to happen this year. And and if it like the Oilers don't scare me, but McDavid in, in a seven game series does. So just the fact that uh, that that they clinched it and that means that they don't have to play Edmonton is, I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, and all along they were talking about setting themselves up for the best chances at success in the playoffs with their play in the regular season and carrying over those habits and putting themselves in the best position. And they've done that by clinching first place in the division and being the first seed going in. Yeah. You know, the only thing, I guess, first place comes with expectations, whereas 40 goals in 49 games is just really goddamn fun to watch (laughs) (laughs) unfurl. But I mean, you know, we've talked about how the Leafs are, uh, you know, the best team in the division right from you know the beginning of the the you know right, right from when we knew that this was going to be the, the setup we we pretty much knew that the Leafs were going to you know clinch this division we felt it was a formality and and you know here we are so I, I don't think we're we're surprised by that I think that if you would have told me when Matthews was kind of struggling through that stretch with his wrist mm. that he was still going to finish with forty I I, I don't like I, I mean I, I guess I probably wouldn't have been shocked either but. Um, it just you know, given that we know what he can do at this point, but where do you think he'd be at had he not had oh. to deal with that wrist injury? Oh, like, did you guys man. see the article last week talking about how he could barely hold the stick for a while there? Yeah, like and, yeah, and this guy just absolutely dummied the goal scoring race this season. He has two games left, so he reasonably could end up with like forty three as is. Yeah, so ima- imagine, yeah, like is fifty possible if he can shoot the puck for those seven or eight games where he could barely. I mean, we saw he was he was like actually not shooting. He was like passing when he normally shoots. He was playing a different spot on the power play when he even got in games. So that's yeah, that's crazy to think about it. Um, yeah, he, I mean, I think that it would have been surprising to not see him get 50 if, if you know, you replace that stretch with just what he had kept up. Because like the, the thing was early in the season, it was like, well, the percentages are going to dip, you know, he can't possibly keep this up, but like he has outside of the injury, it's, he's like a lock to score almost every night. It's, it's crazy to see. And like, if he gets a full healthy season, like I was having the thought, like, you know, 
people have been talking about like, oh, 60, 65, because, uh, you know, Ovechkin did 65. I think Stamkos got 65, or was it just 60 recently? Not not recently, but... I think he scored you know, 60, the, yeah. I can't remember. 60, and it's, and it's you know, th- those are the only guys to touch 60, right, in, in a while. And it, it's like, I, I feel like he could do 70. Is that not, is that crazy? 70 goals if he's fully healthy. I mean, we saw that we, we see what he can do. We've seen the pace. Like, it seems insane, but I don't think it's crazy. It is crazy, but like, he could still do it. And I don't think everyone would be totally shocked. Like, Connor McDavid put up 100 points, and that's absolutely crazy. 100 points in 53 games. But is anyone really all that surprised that he did that on this at the same time? No, because there's, there's only two people who could do what they did like one person for each category like no one else in the league is putting 150 point pace up and no one else in the league is scoring 40 goals this year they're the only two people that could do it so it's not super surprising when it turns out to be them but yeah cam i mean i think a full 82 game season where him and marner are both healthy for all 82 games i i think it's possible but i think 65 would be like a, a huge target for me to shoot for too. Like I, I just really, I, it sucks, man. He's been robbed the last yeah. two seasons of not being able to say he still doesn't have a 50 goal season, which is absurd. He still doesn't have like an 82 game season from since his rookie year either. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny because it's backwards for me from like uh, the years where we had Tyler Bozak as our first line center and I was pissed off about it. And I would like argue with people who would say that he was a 50 point center by saying, nah, he's never he's never gotten to 50. He got to 50 eventually, but not until after Matthews landed because yeah. uh, he had like three seasons of like 49, I think. It was like four. And, yeah. and now it's the opposite. It's like it's like, oh, well, Matthews is, you know, not gotten to 50. But who gives a shit? Because he's probably going to do it every year for the next 10. Um, you know, it's a, b- a big leap from having your first line center as like a borderline 50 point guy to, you know, a guy who's a shoe in for 50 if he's healthy. Yeah. And if there's not a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And. Getting back to what Keith said, he kind of mentioned Mariner there. And that's one thing that uh, I know we've mentioned it before, but he has not gotten enough credit for the season that he has put together either. He's kind of just been in the shadow of the outstanding years by McDavid and Matthew's goal scoring. But Mariner's year has been super impressive. He One of the greatest seasons in franchise history. I wish that we could have had an 82-game season to see what he would have put up over a full schedule as well. Uh, he he's on. What is he, he's pacing at a hundred? Isn't he like he'd be on on that trajectory? Like, and I don't think anybody would be. I don't think it was a, a situation where he's just hot for over fifty six games and would cool off either. Like, there's no signs of him slowing down. No, and he contributes to the team in so many ways too. Like now you're starting to hear selkie buzz from Mariner. I don't know if you guys have heard any of that, but I, I've definitely heard some people talking about where he's going to land if he's going to be nominated or what he's going to receive for votes, but just for a player of his caliber to be putting up the offensive totals that he is. And as a winger also being in that Selkie conversation, he's just been so important to everything that this team has done this year. And yeah, I just don't think he's been given enough credit just because of what Matthews has been doing at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I buy the Selkie buzz, but like even just to be in the conversation or even to be, you know, talked about like, you know, it is some of it is probably a function of where he plays, but like as a winger, um, like an undersized winger. It's not often that wingers get those 
get those kind of conversations. No, and and if Mark Stone isn't getting one, I, I think yeah. Mitch should probably still be a little further down the line there, <laughs> lifetime achievement award and all that. But yeah, yeah, I don't think he's going to, going to be uh, nominated or you know picking that one up on the stage anytime soon. But um, but he does impact the team like as a penalty killer and just even defending at five on five, he can turn play the other way so quickly and make the other team pay uh, for turnovers. It, it, he's he's just a, a really a true 200 foot player as a winger. Well, it's really a testament to his like hockey sense and like yeah. the way that he anticipates the play, right? Like I, you know, I think we've talked about this before, but like the way that he, um, it's almost like he's watching an overhead angle, yeah. you know, like he just knows where everyone is. He, he, he feels pressure so well, um, just has like that eyes in the back of his head kind of thing going on. Like he, he just, he always knows where it's, where to move the puck, when to do it. Um, you know when to make a short play like it, it went like when what was it earlier in the season he made that bad like pass to muzzin in the neutral zone and it, he came back for the game winner was it and and or or it, it might have just maybe just killed the rally i don't know if it was the game winner but it, either way it was like it, people kind of freaked out about it but it, it was such a rarity from yeah him, you know he, like he just he's so smart yeah and people talk about deception a lot when they're talking about players in the offensive end, the way that they, you know, manipulate defenders and create passing lanes and stuff like that. But Mariner, you know, uses deception to like bait puck carriers into doing certain things when he's on the defensive side of the puck. He does it all the time. He'll he'll like jump into a lane where you would think, okay, there's no way the guy's going to pass it there. But Mariner just takes the right angle and times it right to almost like fool him into putting the puck where he wants to put it. He's so good at those, like just chasing down a defenseman with the puck and, and just kind of preventing a breakout and just like those one-on-one plays where it's usually just kind of like a flyby stick check. He, he, he makes plays off of those like night in night out. And, and one of the other things that I noticed about, and, and it's, it's him very noticeably like him and him and Matthews, but it's down the lineup too. And I obviously think that that's a testament to just how Keith's coaching them. But I noticed like last game, they got hemmed in pretty good off the, off the like opening, I don't know, three or four minutes. Montreal just seemed to kind of drive the play and they couldn't really get anything going. Couldn't get out, couldn't break out of their own zone. And I remember like just being like, this is, it stood out because that just doesn't happen that often anymore. They're so good at getting the puck out of their own end and those quick passes off the boards into the middle. And then it's just, you know, boom, boom. And they're out of the zone. Like it's so refreshing from years past where those three or four minute, you know, guys are full, full, like almost two line changes with, with them, you know, on the four check that just doesn't happen like it used to. And it's, Marner's very noticeable, but I mean, you even see it up and down the lineup, just how much more structured they are. Yeah, you need a pretty special like set of personnel to be able to pull off this like um, constant puck possession, like and constant pressure. Yeah, yeah, play, playing playing the puck into like dangerous areas because you know that your guys can handle it. Like to to get out of the zone, like in the NHL, like you know these are, and I wonder like you know are, are there going to be some. Uh, some bumps in the road in the playoffs you know we've even seen like there was a play i don't know a few weeks ago with uh where tj brody kind of tried to bump it back to riley and and he completely like he missed it it was it was a bad pass Mm -hmm. and and it ended up in the back of the net and it's like you know they've been so good at executing that all year um 
you know, it's obviously going to be the plan in the playoffs. Like, will there be a little bit of a, you know, an adjustment? Like, how are how are teams going to game plan for that? I, I guess, but um, you know, that's kind of a different conversation. But like, it, it comes back to the personnel. Like Marner, Matthews. Like these guys are just so smart. They they move the puck so quickly to where like it needs to go. Like they put it in a dangerous positions, but like they do it in a manner that it's never a danger because you know they're just so aware of where everyone is on the ice at all times and everybody's where and everybody's where they're supposed to be too like they're just all over the ice in great like they two quick passes in like half a second and they're out of the zone it's 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 remarkable yeah um and another point on Marner there like the the thing that really is impressive is like he, how he does it without being a speedster like he, he's not like he he can get up to a decent top speed but like he doesn't have a lot of burst he he's really shifty but he doesn't have like that that really great acceleration like that a lot of smaller well, guys do well that's where do. people like confuse like speed with mobility right like yeah. he doesn't have blazing speed but he can he can turn in any direction and he's so agile and uses his edges so well that he can jump into space and slow the game down and, you know, just kind of get around defenders by using his angles and edge work rather than just pure speed. Yeah. And in looking at how it kind of translates to the rest of the roster, like, Sandine, you know, we, we've gotten to see a little bit more of him. Like you see that with him, right? Same like thing. He's, yeah. Very similar. He yeah. is so smart and he, re, like he, he feels the pressure so well. Um, you know, there've been a couple of those plays where he's like using the net as a guard and, and trying to kind of shield the puck. And um, he, you can see where he just kind of has overestimated himself a couple of times slightly, like, and his lack of kind of like that, that, top yeah. gear um has kind of like he's almost gotten caught but he's just so good at like reading it and like getting away from the pressure that you know he he still manages to make the play and it's like okay he'll probably adjust for next time and you know yeah i mean it's it's such a comforting philosophy to see like applied throughout the lineup i guess he's so good at that transit like just carrying the puck through the neutral zone and like that one movie does where he kind of opens his hip up and sells the pass and the defenseman kind of starts to take that lane and then he just goes forward like full throttle and it gains the blue line like he does it a few times now and it's it's so deceptive and shifty and but he's like it, it makes him he looks way faster than he really is just with the way that he skates yeah he's yeah he's fun to watch that's the way he um like it's his path selection yeah. or, or whatever you want to call it like like Riley does the same thing right where you kind of will open up the hips at the uh, you know center ice and, and you have to kind of pick what, like is he going to drive on me or is he going to drop it back or, or what's good but it, it always kind of looks like a set play right like he, he's he's going to make one decision or the other but um, it kind of looks the same every time, whereas Sandine almost looks like he's like freelancing it. Like, I, like I'm going to take whatever you give me here, and if, it's an like option. You, yeah, he he goes where he if goes I can go wherever, inside you, they don't go. Well, yeah, yeah. R- Riley is more about the pure speed, whereas Sandine is is more like Mariner. Yeah. It's more about like he's a guy that's he's a good skater, but he's not a, a blazingly fast skater. He's agile and he can you know get into the right lanes and things like that and elude defenders but he's not gonna blow the doors off of anybody the way that morgan riley can yeah blew the fucking doors off of blake wheeler (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so um 
one storyline that just refuses to die is um, whether or not Frederick Anderson is going to get back in the net. And, and I thought <sighs> for sure after the weekend and his performance on his AHL conditioning stint that we could just put this to bed. And it seems <laughs> to have persisted more than ever somehow, despite the fact that he gave up like five wrist shots to <laughs> AHLers who had one or both feet on the blue line. Like, how can we think that this guy is going to possibly be the uh, I, I don't think anyone maybe thinks that he's going to be the game one starter. But like, I feel like Jack Campbell has a rope long enough that it would really take a a total combustion. Yeah in order for Frederick Anderson to get back in the net at this point. Nick, I'll, I'll go first because you'll probably have a better and more eloquent thought on this than I do. <laughs> Not but fucking like, likely. But, go ahead. <laughs> but like, I just, I think a lot of this like, or not frustration is probably not the right word but a lot of this like anxiety about Fred that I've been seeing on Twitter lately is really kind of stemming from you know, he's back and he's healthy and he's back from his conditioning stint and all the boys are talking about how excited they are that Fred's back. And But what the hell are they supposed to say? Like, they're not they're not going to be like, fuck, Fred's back. Like, what are we going to do? Like, clearly they're going to be like, yeah, everybody loves Fred. We, we're excited to have him in the room, you know, and ha- having him back is really important for the team. They don't, nobody, nobody thinks that. Not one person, even his best friend doesn't think that. They, they're, they're, it's Jack's net. It'll be Jack's net unless something catastrophic happens. And Freddie's going to be a very good backup goaltender to have for a playoff run. I don't think there's anything more than that. But I think there's people <laughs> nervous just because of the positivity that's coming out from the least kind of press conferences and press availabilities because Freddie's back. But it's not. What else are they going to say? Yeah, I think like people are nervous because they just don't want Anderson anywhere near the Leafs crease anymore. <laughs> um, not even the, not even the visitors <laughs> crease in, in warm up. <laughs> you know, and, and on Twitter earlier today, I was having a bit of a back and forth with Justin Bourne. And I, I said something like, yeah, obviously if Campbell falters, then go to Anderson. But I, I got thinking about it a little more afterwards and I, I kind of went back on that. And I, I think that I have more faith, even if, Campbell goes in and you know has a couple of poor outings or even three poor outings to start the playoffs I still think that I have more faith in him bouncing back in a fourth game or the third game whatever it might be than I do in Anderson just coming in after what is it going to be like two and a half months of not playing and when he was playing he wasn't playing well for like the last two years, like everyone talks about this track record with Anderson and yeah, he was good for a couple of years with the Leafs, but he's been bad for almost as long as he's been good now. I just don't know why the leash should be short for Campbell with the season that he's put together and why anyone would have any faith in Frederick Anderson being able to figure it out at this point. Yeah, I get super confused when I see people talking about Freddie's track record, but then the rest of the tweet is positive, <laughs> yeah. like the, otherwise a positive tone. And I feel like I'm having a stroke while I'm reading it. Yeah, I, I think a, a lot of, you know, Freddie was really solid for a couple of years, but I think maybe it's a bit overstated just how good he was. Like, he was an above average goaltender for the Leafs for three seasons. Yeah. And I, I think that that's bought a lot more faith with some people in the media and some Leafs fans than it probably should have. 
I think it's important to remember how bad those teams were defensively when he was playing. Yeah, good. That, like he, that's a fair he point. Was, he, he was the he backbone was of this team, good. and I don't want to take yeah. anything away from that because. It, but it, you're right. That's we're two years removed from that, yeah. or more. Yeah, it, the track record can only stand for so much, and can only. Yeah you know, hold value for so long. Yeah. And, and I think context is a little important in, in this whole con- like hypothetical conversation about, you know, how long is Jack's leash? I think like you would, I, I don't know. I, I think it would be obvious and I think it would have to be the type of like blowout losses where he just looks completely lost and dejected and like the, you know, like just looks like yeah, Frederick can, Anderson can, in games. Looks, yeah, <laughs> like, looks like, like letting in those wrist shots off the wall down off the rush on a one on a one on two. But yeah, no, that, that type of like bad, bad game. And I, and I think like, it need to be like two, terrible fucking games for me to even entertain the thought of of fred coming in but like cam said it's not like he just like shut out the laval rocket twice or something like or the manitoba moose whoever the fuck he played like that he was he was bad in the ahl too like there's nothing comforting about it he didn't look good at all like letting in those same weak wristers and you know you can say that that shot by Cole Perfetti was a nice shot, but like, look how deep Anderson is in his net. Look how late he is to react to a shot from a guy coming in on a one-on-two. He just, that's not what I would want to pin this outstanding season on. The, The Leafs have come too far this year, in my opinion, to go back to what they've gotten out of Frederick Anderson for the better part of the last two seasons. And Jack is just giving Campbell's just giving you everything that you need, that this team needs in a goaltender. Like he doesn't have to be a fucking like a world beater. And he has been extremely good. I'm not, I don't, I don't say this to say that he's just been like, you know, ho-hum mediocre, but he's making timely saves. He's making saves when they're up by a goal or two in the third period that, you know, maybe he didn't like, maybe, you know, he didn't like it wasn't a you wouldn't have blamed him if it went in kind of thing but he's still making them and and i think he's consistently done that now and we're past the point where you know you can say you know small sample size he's still got to prove it like he's you know how many games has he played it's 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 a pretty good chunk of the of of their season i i don't think there's really much of a conversation here other than hypothetically jack just completely falling apart never mind the fact that one of these guys is signed for next season and the other is not yeah yeah and that's that's an important point too because like it's you know there is i think a valid point to be made that you know freddie has done this for the franchise etc etc he deserves this but there's one crease uh like you can argue until you're blue in the face about what Freddie deserves based on what he's uh, done. But what he's done this year has been awful yeah. in terms of between the pipes. Um, he's He doesn't appear to be healthy. And it comes down to what does Jack Campbell deserve for turning in an incredible season under the circumstances and... Um, I mean, just being the guy when you needed him to be the guy and what kind of message would that send to him? As you said, under contract next year, you're hoping that, you know, that this can be your guy going forward and, and you don't have a, a commitment to, to Fred the moment that the, uh, you know, your playoff run comes to an end. So, so do you really want it to be with Fred between the pipes one way or the other? No, put it this way. If Campbell goes in and falters in game one and or game two and they turn to Freddie Anderson 
and they still lose the series and get knocked out in the first round, I will be a lot more upset with that than I would be if Campbell falters in a couple of games and they stick with him and they still aren't able to get through the first round. At least then they would have rode with the guy that got them there. Not that I wouldn't say that Campbell is the MVP of this team or anything, but he's been one of the most important pieces to this season in which they clinched the North Division. Well, especially when you consider that there was nothing behind him for a long period of the season when he was doing what he was doing. Like, yes, Matthews is clearly the clear-cut MVP of this team, but if he wasn't there producing, there's still John Tavares on the team. Like, there's nothing. Like when Campbell was in the net, there was there was nobody behind him. So if, those were very important games and in, in, in a very important part of the season. Where if he would have not performed, I don't know where they would be right now. I think they're probably still a playoff team, but they're not in first. Yeah, and all this talk about sample size, I think it's like the same thing as people talking about you know the strength of the division and whatnot. It's like you can only play against the teams on your schedule. And though the sample size isn't that big with Campbell, you can only play the games that have been given to you. And he has done nothing but win and play well since becoming a Leaf. I just, I think that he deserves a very long leash going into the playoffs to kind of finish what he started here. Yeah. And frankly, he deserves the chance to fail. Like, yeah, basically, that's the best way to put it, Cam. If it comes down to that, then that's what happens. But like, what what do you learn by putting Fred Anderson back in the net in game three or four or whatever and still losing or even if you win and then you have to make a decision on who to go with in the in the in the next round and, you know, like it's 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 just so far from a sure thing that that, you know, Fred is the guy that he was in, you know, any past regular season in this coming playoff run, or even the guy that he wasn't even in any past postseason, like where he was mostly good, but gave up some dog shit goals. Like right now he's just giving up dog shit goal (laughs) after dog shit goal. There's no, like there's no point where he gives you up a backbreaker because like he's giving up the three of the first four shots and there's never a backbreaker situation for you. Yeah. Well, I've got a question for you guys. Would you say it's fair to assume at this point that Jack Campbell is the Maple Leafs guy going into next season, at least as a 1A in part of a tandem. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 100%. He's, and he's probably the 1A, not the 1B. Oh, like, a- absolutely. I think I, I agree with yeah, that. He's either he's either the guy and if they bring in – like he's the guy or they bring in another guy and he's, you know – the the one the one A to a one B like a Riddick yeah. type of idea. But so to, to to that point, how would the Leafs or how have the Leafs treated Anderson in the playoffs in the past years, knowing that he was their guy moving forward? They let him play through the struggles. They gave him the time to fail, which he has now done a, a few times. So. With the thought that Campbell is the guy going into next season, I think he deserves that same chance. Like Cam said, he's earned the opportunity to play until he fails. Yeah, yeah. I guess the question the question just becomes how how long of the leash is like what's the definition of failure? Yeah, and, and I, I like I think it's going to have to be brutal. Like it, it would have to be, um, yeah. You know, obviously an injury would do it. I mean, that's that's the the only the sure way that Fred gets back in, as far as I'm concerned. Like I, I, I could see them like if if you know you, um, even if you're struggling in the first round and 
like it gets to the point where say like you're down three one or something and Campbell's been in the net for all of those like I, I I'm just running with Campbell like I, I'm I mean it, it like it's 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 yeah. an impossible like hypothetical to try to play out but um I like I'm I'm just trying to imagine it's hard to envision a scenario where you decide you would rather see Anderson in the net than Campbell well it's just mm-hmm. if Campbell lets in five in game one four in game two five in game three. And then it's time for game four. You're you're in a hole, and it's like, are, are you sure that Fred's not going to do the same thing? You're not. Yeah, well, that's what I was saying earlier. Like, I take my chances that Campbell's going to be the guy to bounce back after a couple of poor outings, yeah. rather than you know relying on Anderson to just figure it out all of a sudden. Yeah, and I, and I think that the debate honestly just comes down to the Leafs kind of trying to play it down the middle, right? Like, you don't want to. You know, go there with Fred right now, not right before a playoff run. But I, I don't see any way that either Keith or Dubis could look at this and, and seriously consider, you know, um, ha- like having Fred well, as the. the we we're talking about uh, the Leaf report earlier. Myrtle alluded to the fact that he doesn't believe that the organization has any faith left in Anderson at all. How could they, man? Yeah, like, yeah. Like I, I and I, I'm starting to feel bad for bashing Anderson as much as we have, but I, I just it's the fact of the matter is he has not played well for almost two entire seasons now, and Campbell is playing very well. I don't know how it's still a debate. Yeah, and it's not even bashing. It's like his save percentage since we started this podcast is like an 880 or something. Like it's it's like you know, with there was a time to praise Freddie, and now there's a time to it's win. It's not even backup quality. Yeah, I, I think I think Oak had a tweet this today or earlier about I think it was since January 2020, like minimum 30 games played. I think he is like the second worst save percentage ahead of Riddick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just ahead of Riddick. Yeah, <laughs> great comfort because it, I was thinking after those games, I, I was thinking, how do you even feel comfortable with Fred as the backup if he's not healthy and he's playing like this? But because the other options, David Riddick, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but Riddick's got those sweet new pads, the putt van style. That's so, got to count for something. Yeah, I, I think that gives him a little edge there. Man, I would fucking lose my mind if Campbell ever came out with those signature Cujo pads <laughs> with, with the like half circle going through the Bauer thing. Like I can picture them in my head. I had them in like a road hockey set. <laughs> oh, man. He needs to do that. So other lineup thoughts. Um just a couple of games left here. I feel like we're going to see some things, you know, toyed around with. Dennis Malgin was, what was he, added to the uh, added to the taxi squad? That's got to <laughs> be some sort of, like, cap thing that I just don't understand. No, he just finished up his season over in Switzerland. He had, like, a massive year over there, actually. <laughs> I didn't even know that he was still Leafs property. I'm not going to lie. I thought that, I, I knew, I mean, I thought that that project was over. I, I, if you'd I, have told me he was playing on the Marlies, I just would have believed him. <laughs> Um, but I mean, I, I just want to say off the top, I am incredibly encouraged by the depth right now. Like it's been, I mean, obviously, you know, we, we've talked plenty about Matthews Mariner on this episode already, but like y- you have to have them clipping along and they've been excellent, but it just seems like every single guy up and down the lineup kind of knows that they have to show out every time they're on the ice to even have a sniff at, at some playoff time because like they're going like 16 deep on forwards right now. Like this is a hell of a position to be in. It's so encouraging because considering all the flack that they get for being in cap hell, like how many teams have five NHL forward lines that they could roll out? 
Like it, it's insane how much depth they have. The Oilers don't even have five NHL forwards. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, man. Like I, I for a team that apparently had no money for for depth, it's a lot of depth. But this is what Kyle Dubas always said was going to be the plan, right? Everyone's known this. They were going to spend on the high end of their roster, yeah. and they've done an incredible job of filling out the depth with you know cheap players there isn't going to be a jason spezza and joe thornton coming on league minimum every year but still i think the dubas and his regime have shown the uh, an ability to find quality depth on the cheap for a couple of years now and it's it's really paying off this year the wealth of depth up front especially and even with and even considering that three of those pieces are are gone with Barabanov and Boyd and VC, like those were three pieces of cheap depth. They're not even a part of the picture anymore. And we're still talking about how many forwards they have. Yeah. And Adam Brooks has been a bit of a revelation, but he's played yeah. really well in a limited role. I, I don't think he's a guy that's going to be in the game one lineup by any means, but he's, show- he's probably in my lineup next year. Yeah. I think that he's shown capable of, you know, maybe pushing for that fourth line center job next season, but even going into this playoff run, if it comes down to it where the Leafs have to use him, I think they can be comfortable with that, seeing how he played in a limited role this year. Yeah, I've liked him a lot. Um, yeah, he, he, I've always liked Brooks. He's a really, really smart player. He's very he smart. Put, put up huge totals in junior, too. So, like, there's always he been did. some offensive skill and, you know, hockey IQ there. And you can tell because he's playing with those with, with, with Thornton and Spezza who think the game is how such cool a high level. How cool is that, and, hey? and, yeah, I know. And he's he's not missing a beat. And I don't know if that's something that Travis Boyd would have been able to do, right? Like just to think the game at the level of a Spezza and Thornton and, and be able to play with them on the forecheck and on the cycle. Yeah, well, we've dumped on Pierre Engvall plenty on this pod um, <laughs> in the past. And it's like, I mean, when you compare like, you know, Brooks, like Engvall is so much more noticeable because of the size and the way he gets around the ice. Right. But when Brooks is out there, like if you watch him, like he's he's just He's in, in it, it all so the time. much yeah, more. Man. He's in the mix. He, he's he's in there like causing shit, causing turnovers, disrupting plays, like getting in lanes. Um, it's just it's so noticeable. Like it, there were a couple of plays early, like in his first couple of games, where you know, and I feel like this every time he comes up, like he'll make a play or two early in his stint, where I'm like, this guy doesn't seem to have NHL like level. So, like there's something missing here but then it's like after a bit of time he gets into a kind of a groove and uh he just like he, he it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier with like Marner and like Sandine and the way that this team is kind of built to to make like these smart plays and and uh, I mean it's it's you can see it with, with him out there I think maybe Mikheyev might warrant a little discussion yeah yeah I don't know if I'm the only guy in the world who thinks that he might be the guy that comes out I just don't know but- I don't know like just because of his penalty killing. Yeah, like I, I, I just, think that's the one thing that would keep him in the lineup. That's the wild card for me. Yeah, if Galchenyuk could kill penalties like him, then I, I would be more inclined. Like I, I really have been a fan of Galchenyuk since the beginning, and and I, I just don't know how he fits in if Riley Nash is a guarantee. And I don't know enough about Riley Nash to be like, I've seen some people like be very bullish, like that absolutely he's in the lineup, and then I've seen some people that have been like, well. Why would you include somebody who, you know, hasn't necessarily been a part of it and, and you know, mix with chemistry and stuff like that? Like, I, I just don't know. 
I don't know where I'm at on Riley Nash, but if he's definitely in the lineup, I don't know who else comes out if it's not Galchenyuk. Do you think that if they were going for just like another depth option at fourth line center or something that they would have, you know, made the leap to take on the money that came along with Riley Nash for a guy that was going to sit on injured reserve for a few weeks. I, I, I feel like he was acquired with a purpose and that they definitely plan on using him if he's healthy. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but uh, but what, what if the purpose was that, you know, what if what if all our guys aren't going? Like, everyone looks so good right now. Who do you take out? Yeah, like, that's it, fair. He was, he was a great depth yeah. and, like, obviously fit well with the salary cap in terms of he was a guy you could add for basically no, like, implication because he was going to be injured. Um, and, and he and didn't if cost he, anything. And if he, you know, plays, it's almost a bonus in that sense. But you were probably hoping to have a role for him but given the way like you've gone down the stretch i just i'm wondering now if it's such a sure thing that he's going to get in and until there's maybe a poor performance or an injury or something yeah there's a lot of depth there's there's no easy jobs to win in that bottom six right now and i wonder if game one lineup bottom six looks like game two like if, if there's a bit of a, a rotation ready for that unless that he's for you know unless he's forced not to just from like stellar play but he might I don't be know I, I think that they know what they want for the playoffs and I don't think that they'll waver from that unless they're forced to over the course of a few poor games or through injury but I think another interesting point too is it all kind of comes down to where they slot Hyman in because if Hyman's in the top in the top six then Felino probably is too and then is Galchenyuk a guy you want on your third line that's where Mikheyev might be the like might win out over Galchenyuk is if they do decide to use Hyman in the top six which I've I've, I've said this before in the pod a few times like to me it's about making Matthews and Marner the absolute best they can possibly be I know they don't need Hyman to be good but I think they're that much better with Hyman oh that line that is line... hell to play against man you were talking earlier about you know Matthews and Marner being able to strip pucks and you throw Zach Hyman in there a dog on a bone like that line is hell to play against as good as Nick Felino is and as good as Joe Thornton is in spurts they're not Zach Hyman, neither one of them. Yeah, and I wonder about, I mean, him coming back, like I, I get your point there, but, um, you know, does that mean that you don't need Mikheyev so much for the penalty killing, especially because it's playoffs and there's not going to be probably as, as many penalties, right? So, like, that's another thing to take into consideration. But is this is Riley Nash not a guy that and can that kill too. penalties? Yeah, so... That the, could take the, his spot. So then if you've got Mariner and you've got Hyman and you've got Felino and you've got Riley Nash and you've got Alex Kerfoot, you know, where does Mikheyev even fall on the penalty-killing depth chart at that point? So I, I still think that it's going to be a question of whether he's the guy that comes out if everyone's healthy. Yeah, I, I don't think he will, but I, I, I'm not as convinced that, that it won't be him. Like, Well, I, I don't think they're taking Thornton out, and I don't no. think they're going to take Simmons out. Like, those guys were acquired no. for this time of year, right? For this time of year. Yeah, they're yeah. in. So. Yeah. And like you said, they probably grabbed Nash for a reason. So I, But I, I can buy what you said, Cam, about him just being like a depth option for injuries or, or something. I mean, what was it? Like a conditional seventh pick? Yeah. yeah. For a guy that you put right on an LTIR and, and it didn't really count as any kind of salary cap implication throughout the year. And then you pull him off in the, for the play. Although they are likely bringing him in now, it seems. But still, I mean, the acquisition cost was nothing for, for, for more depth. But I, 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 I don't know. It's a really interesting – but like we kind of said earlier – I, I they probably have had their top twelve penciled in from the moment they made the Felino trade. I think they've had that figured out, and 
this is a lot of just kind of auditioning for who maybe is the first guy off the bench. Has Nash been skating? Nash, today. Nash skated today. Hyman skated today. Felino skated today. That they were. They all seem to be regular participants. Yeah, there, was there was no no not, red jerseys. Yeah, no red jerseys. But there was also no like uh, colored jerseys for line combos. They had everyone split into blue and white today. So it's hard to make much of what was going on. But they weren't in no contact jerseys. You the fucking thin Lizzy baby. <laughs> the whole fucking um, team, man. I hope we get. <laughs> I hope that we get one game of whatever the game one lineup is going to be. Yeah. The finale against Winnipeg. I, I would love to see that. Just fucking. I just don't want anybody to get hurt. Like, yeah. I then I also would like just to play the entire Marley's. Yeah, as you said, Keith, the, call up the whole ass Marley's. <laughs> really? I mean, there's two minds of it. Like I would like to see it and maybe get the wheels turning for them. And, you know, but then also there's an element of kind of a bit of a surprise or not showing your cards or whatever, you know, for Montreal to, to see the whole lineup for the first time. Well, did you guys flinch on Saturday night when I think it was Edmondson kind of took Matthews into the boards a little yeah. bit behind the net, like sort of yeah. on the head? Like, oh my God. Like this. That was a weird hit because he kind of, Matthews' momentum was taking him around the boards, but yeah. he kind of just pinned pinned his upper body. Yeah, I don't think it was like egregious or anything on Edmondson's part, no. but it was just like... An, no, he was just finishing his track. Yeah. Yeah, it was... Just ma- it made so me cringe stupid. a little bit to see Matthews get his head squished up against the boards like that in a game that you know ultimately doesn't really mean a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so there's lots to talk about as we head towards playoffs, and uh, we're going to kind of change things up here a little bit. So we're going to wrap things up for this episode, but we are going to uh, record kind of an extra, kind of a mailbag type of thing and uh, get to a few more topics Um and, I, and I've got a really interesting uh, question to, to lead things off for the two of you um, for that one. So before we do that, um, Keith, let, let's wind this this part down. Brand new tune from the Backstays um, that we want to get to. Tell us about it. Yeah. So um, this uh, we released the whole album um, on, on May the 1st. Uh, so this would be kind of the third single. We we had released two songs before the whole album was out, and then this one kind of as the the feature track for the rest of the the batch. Um, it's called Forever Gold Bricks. It's a um, a song that we wrote in in the studio one night, um, kind of just uh, after many drinks, and we were kind of just saying we wanted something to be because a lot of the album is pretty intense or like dark even i don't know it's just not necessarily like uplifting or fun um so we kind of had that idea so we we played like a drum loop that just was really basic and kind of upbeat and just kind of built the song around that and wanted to have something that was a little on the lighter side and that's the song that ends the ends the album um it's kind of got like a a synthy pop kind of feel to it and maybe one of the more kind of sing-along chorusy type things that we've done so we're, we're, we're pretty happy with how it turned out um it's uh yeah it's it's the last track on the album tributaries you can find it anywheres that you find music um and recently specifically for this song had a bit of good news that i can't necessarily say anything about yet because i'm not allowed to and also because i don't want to in case it doesn't happen and i don't look stupid but um yeah maybe something coming for that in the near future that could be pretty cool
Sunt 